Let us pray. Lord God, open our hearts and minds to this reading of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Thou who art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The gospel lesson is from the gospel of Luke in chapter 14, verse 1 and verses 7 to 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, he would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Joel, age 11, was seated between his parents in the front pew of the sanctuary, where he could not kick the pew in front of him or grab at some unsuspecting prisoner's hair. Occasionally, he would run around the sanctuary with a parent in hot pursuit. He has a diagnosis of autism, and his mother, the author Kathleen Balduck, described worshiping with him, and I quote, sitting on the edge of your seat during an action movie when you are not quite sure what is going to happen next, but you know that something is going to happen. During communion, his mother described him Quote, chewing the bread, picking the sticky stuff left in his teeth with his fingers. He slurps down the juice and sticks his tongue into the cup, determined to get every last drop, unquote. Church members made a point of sitting as far away from the family as they could and tried to ignore this behavior. Some suggested that it would be better if he sat outside the sanctuary with an aide so as not to disrupt the service. We'll return to Joel later. 
The title for today's sermon comes from the passage in Jeremiah that Becky read earlier and deserves some explanation. God is pleading with Israel to repent, but what have the people done? They have, as Jeremiah states in chapter 1, verse 16, worshipped the works of their own hands. It could be job or relationships, really anything that becomes a source of meaning in one's life as a result of one's own efforts. It is to find meaning in what you create for yourself, to manipulate your destiny and avoid despair. By the way, we all do that. But there is more. The people of Israel committed two evils, says the Lord. They did not look to God's word for what gives and sustains life, described as living water. In other words, they were not reading scripture. And they dug out for themselves, metaphorically speaking, cisterns to hold what they hope can provide meaning apart from God. Unfortunately, these man-made cisterns are cracked, unable to hold water. That is, they cannot provide life-giving meaning to sustain people. Whatever meaning they contain is stagnant and leaks out over time. So we must think carefully about what we carve out for ourselves to give meaning to life and whether these things are cracked cisterns that lose meaning over time and lead to despair. The living water is God's grace from which we can draw, but over which we have no control. This passage from Jeremiah in the lectionary is paired with the passage from Luke that we read earlier. There Jesus is exhorting those gathered at a meal in the home of a prominent religious leader about the significance of humility and hospitality for those who wish to please God. There must be clues here about how to avoid cracked cisterns of meaning. We hear Jesus address the guests about the importance of humility. The meaning of hospitality is addressed to the host. I invite us to see ourselves in both categories. Jesus alludes to our human tendency to rank ourselves and others based on our biases about human value. High value people should have a more prominent place at the table and should be at the top of any invitation list. Jesus entices us with the practical suggestion that we do better to claim a low place at the table in the hope that the host will come and elevate us to a higher place. But that is not really the point, since there is really no ranking in Jesus' eyes. That's clear throughout the Gospels. 
And what does Jesus teach us about hospitality? He tells the host not to invite friends or brothers or sisters or rich neighbors to a lunch or dinner. Rather, the host should invite those no one else would invite. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These two exhortations underscore our sinfulness. That is, what separates us from God's intentions and God's grace. Behind these exhortations about humility and hospitality lies Jesus' encouragement to trust in God's grace, the living water. I believe he wants us to abandon any notion about who belongs where, lay aside any prejudice resulting in privilege for certain people, and look to God's grace, falling on every person for the true source of meaning that doesn't run dry. I see a person's position at the table as a metaphor. When we take the lowest place, we rely on God's grace to take us places we did not foresee. In God's perception, the humble and just, those who see and respect the divine in every person, without regard for distinctive biological features like race or sex or sexual orientation or disability, these humble and just persons look to God's grace and find meaning in every opportunity to be a blessing for others. And what of a host inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to dinner? Do any of us do this? What is Jesus' point? He appears to be talking about it, a particular kind of meal. Verse 15, which follows the verses that we read, suggests that it is a meal shared in the kingdom of God. But that is not to say a meal in the next life. It is a meal here in this life where God is welcome and present. It is a meal where God blesses the giver and the receiver. It is what the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist is meant to be. It is a place where any who have been intentionally or unintentionally excluded are received into fellowship around a table. And now listen carefully. The host is the divine in each one of us. The guest is that part of every one of us most in need of restoration and redemption. The faith community finds in that meal a profound expression of God's presence with us, where living water flows and individually constructed, cracked cisterns are discarded. Let's return to Joel. Remember Joel, the boy with autism sitting in the front pew at his church. His mother wrote this about his experience. 
Quote, This particular Sunday, the pastor raised the plate high in the air and proclaimed, This is the body of Christ broken for you. Then he raised the cup, saying, And this is the blood of Christ poured out that you might live. Joel pulled on my sleeve. I looked down to see him grinning, his face lit up as if from within. He stood up tall and tapped himself on the chest. For me, for me, he cried joyfully. He turned around to the people behind us. For me, he repeated, for me. The theologian Emily Towns has written, quote, the realm of God establishes its own social and spiritual order, unquote. We cannot presume our place in that order if indeed there is any ranking, and I suspect there is not. What we have learned from scripture this morning is that we operate contrary to God's purposes when we create our own sources of meaning apart from what God desires from us. The living water of grace that flows from God claims all persons. We are commanded to be inclusive. We are commanded to remove all barriers to life in the church, just as Jesus worked to remove barriers and restore marginalized people to the community. The humility and hospitality God seeks from us has one purpose, that we not seek blessings for ourselves, but rather live our lives as a blessing for others. We are not to seek safety by exclusion, but take risks to bring in those excluded from Christ's table. As we step forward in faith as Christ's church, we must consider with fresh eyes what it means to be an inclusive church. I would venture that this has been a key part of our mission at Third Church going back decades. However, there remain persons who feel excluded or who hesitate to bring their children to church for fear of rejection. We must each do our part to ensure that no one feels judged in this place. Even if you feel an individual might deserve to be judged, Remember that this place is called a sanctuary for a reason. Our session, the ruling elders of this church have recently taken action to reach out to the deaf community by providing American Sign Language interpreters at our 1045 service. We hope this could begin in October. Plans are underway. There is money in the budget for this through December, and we hope that additional funds will be forthcoming. Did you know that Rochester is home to the nation's largest deaf population per capita? What a wonderful opportunity for our deaf brothers and sisters to find welcome in a progressive, reformed congregation. Perhaps the only one in the region to provide American Sign Language interpreters each Sunday. 
When Joel exclaimed, for me, in response to his experience at the celebration of the Lord's Supper, his mother experienced this. Ordinary time stopped. All that existed in that moment was the radiant look of understanding on Joel's face. Joel knew that God loved him. On a spiritual level, he knew that God had sent Jesus for him. My body remained in the front pew of College Hill Presbyterian Church, but my spirit stood in the sacred presence of God." Unquote. Yes, indeed, a welcoming place is a sacred space. So my challenge to us all as we move forward in faith at Third Church is to remove every barrier that exists at God's table we must be cautious not to dig cracked cisterns for meaning. That is, the fleeting meaning derived from anything other than God's grace. The living water that draws all people into communion with Christ. Jesus has ex exhorts us to practice humility and hospitality as complementary arms of openness to God's grace. Such humility and hospitality bring unexpected blessings. Amen.